Good evening. <laughs> nice to see y'all on this wintry evening. <laughs> yeah, the skies actually looked like it was going to snow today. But thank God it didn't. <laughs> Praise God. God is good. Yes, is. Amen. We're glad you all are here. Yes. Glad you're on live stream podcast. That, <coughs> excuse me. That oh, excuse me. <coughs> I'm choked up. I'm so glad that you're here. <coughs> Hallelujah. Okay, let's go ahead and find our place in Jude chapter one. Of course, there is only one chapter, so it should be easy to find. <laughs> Father, we bless you and praise you, Father. We give you all the glory and all the honor. You alone are worthy to be praised. We just thank you for your goodness and for your grace and your kindness, for all that you are and all that you do. Thank you, Lord, that you've delivered us, set us free, set us on high, that you saved us and set us free and unbound us and disconnected us from the works of the devil. Thank you, Lord, that we can walk in the freedom that you've given to us because it was for freedom that you have set us free. And we're free to walk in your nature, free to conform to your image, free to be able to walk in a manner worthy of you and pleasing you in all respects. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody declared, amen, amen, amen. Say it with me. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready to receive from you. My heart is open. My heart is pliable. So write on my heart. Engrave in me what I need to hear tonight. Thank you for that, Lord. Amen. 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 Jude chapter 1. I want to read verse 3. Jude 1, 3. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. So he wanted to write to them about our common salvation, but then all of a sudden he just got this urging on the inside by the Holy Spirit to appeal to them to contend earnestly for the faith. Now, if you go over to the message translation, Let's read what it says there of Jude 1.3 in the Message Translation. It says, Dear friends, I've dropped everything to write to you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write, insisting, begging, that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to God and to cherish. Hallelujah. You know, he's writing about a life of salvation. It's not just about being saved. There's a whole life that goes with salvation. And he says, I'm writing to you. I'm insisting. I am begging to you, for you to fight with everything that you have in you because this is worth the fight. Isn't that right? And he says that faith is entrusted to us as a gift. You know, we know that we were saved by grace through faith. Not of ourselves, it was the gift. You know, salvation's a gift, faith is a gift, grace is a gift. It's all been given to us by God that we can use it, we can connect, and we can walk in the things that he has provided for us. And it's all through this gift, he says, and that we are to guard it 
and we are to cherish it. This life of faith is to be something to be cherished. You know, you could, you, you're starting to get into trouble when you start taking it for granted. And that's the beginning of the downward slope. This is something that we cherish, you know, just like in a relationship, when you cherish your spouse, when you stop cherishing them, the, the relationship starts to change. Cherishing is very important, you know, and he says to guard it because God knows it's important and he knows how important it is for us. So he's given it to us to guard it. And he said that we ought to cherish this. If it's something you cherish, you're going to guard it and you're going to protect it. Isn't that right? You know, some people buy a new car and they want to park it all the way down at the other end of the lot so that nobody gets near it because they're guarding it, protecting it, and cherishing it. Isn't that right? Amen. Fighting for the life that's been prepared for us by Christ and delivered to us through the Holy Spirit. Fight for it. Fight with everything that you have in you. You know, this is why the Bible said, Jesus said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all of your being. The psalmist said, I bless the Lord with all of my soul and all that is within me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> are you with me? Yeah, there are some people that won't express even a smile before God in worship, no matter what you do. This faith, he said here that insisting and begging that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith, the American standard said for the faith. Okay, well, he's talking about the faith, which is salvation in Christ Jesus. But that salvation in Christ is to produce a life, a life of salvation. Isn't that right? Amen. And again, by grace through faith that we're saved, we are to earnestly contend and fight, which means to strive for it, to exert intense effort on behalf of something and struggle for it. You know, we should understand that the devil at any moment is looking to steal from you. He's looking to steal from us part of that life, a piece of that life. He's not going to try to steal the whole thing because you're going to notice something's up. But he wants to steal a little bit at a time and so subtle that you don't recognize it. Just like people say, well, how did the country get in the mess that it's in? Subtly over the last 60, 80, 100 years, subtly, little at a time, and that we did, just didn't notice it because we weren't paying attention. We're too busy with other stuff. When you're busy with your own stuff, you don't, you don't recognize the important stuff. Because your own stuff is not the important stuff. It's just stuff. And at any moment, you can lose all that stuff if you don't pay attention. Isn't that right? Intense effort. The New English translation says, I'd encourage you to struggle for the faith. I encourage you to struggle for the faith. We can face losing our victory given to us through Christ that we attach to by faith. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't back off from what belongs to us. Don't back off from it. This is contending for the power of God that's been delivered to us. Isn't that right? Jesus paid a high price for us to have this. 
You know, we should cherish Jesus, cherish his blood, cherish the life he gave up, cherish his sacrifice, cherish what he did to pay for our sin. And therefore, we should cherish the life that he has given to us. We are the saints. It was handed down to the saints. We are the saints. And what does saints mean? It means to be separated to God. Well, what are you separated for? You're separated to God to worship God and God alone, but to serve God and serve God alone. And you serve God in your thinking. You serve God with your words. You serve God with your actions. You serve God by renewing your mind. See, it doesn't matter if, well, I don't know if I really need to renew my mind. Yes, you do, because Jesus paid a price for that. And that's how you serve God. If you don't serve God in the renewing of your mind, you're not serving God in your life. Because you're still walking by the old ways. And that don't serve God. Amen. Are you with me? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. 2 Timothy 2, 1. The Apostle Paul, of course, writing to, the Tim to Timothy for the second time. And he said, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, Paul at this point is facing martyrdom. But yet he's excited about his life in Christ. He's maintained a victorious attitude. You know, he's been rejected, he's been left alone, uh, people have deserted him, but he's not bound up in bitterness and resentment and rejection. Paul knew what it was like to be strong in grace. Paul also knew what it was like to forget grace. Oh, Lord Jesus, if you would just remove this thorn from me. See, he forgot about grace. And what did Jesus say to her? Paul, remember, my grace is sufficient. Connect with my grace and you'll overcome that thorn Quit crying to me about it. Isn't that right? So he remembers what it was like to forget about grace, but he also knew what it was like to be strong in grace. And in the midst of all that the Apostle Paul's dealing with here and facing martyrdom, he's encouraging Timothy to be strong in grace. Well, when Jesus was in the garden, you know, before he went to the cross, he went to the garden of Gethsemane, and it says an angel came and what? Strengthened him. Okay, he came and strengthened. It was a strength of grace imparted to Jesus. It was an inner strength and empowerment and a supernatural infusion from the throne of God. Amen. Be strong. The Greek word endunamo. It means to make spiritually strong and vigorous. It's a supernatural touch from God that strengthens us and empowers us. Hallelujah. Well, just like, Je what did Jesus do in the garden? He said, not my will, but your will. It's not what I want to do. What do you want me to do? It's when we give ourselves to the will of God, you can be strengthened by God to accomplish it. Yes. Yes. Amen. So what if we don't give ourselves to the will of God? Well, then you're on your own. You have to strengthen yourself to do your own will. But God will strengthen you to do his will. Amen. Chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. One six. 2 Timothy 1, 6. Although we like that verse. He says, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Okay. When 
The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy the second time. Timothy is facing very serious trials. He's not only facing death, but he's also facing the possibility of martyrdom. And the Apostle Paul tells him, kindle afresh the gift. Why does he tell him that? Don't kindle the fear. Kindle the gift. Don't kindle the report. Kindle the gift. Don't kindle what they're saying to you. Kindle the gift. Don't kindle what's going on out there in the world. Kindle the gift. Don't kindle that economic report. Kindle the gift. It's always about kindling the gift. Kindle what's on the inside of you. Timothy needed a supernatural touch of God's grace that was available to help him. That's why he said, be strong in grace. It's supernatural power to help Timothy stand upright. That he would not be spiritually bent over in fear. What, what does it say? I think it's in, in Psalms. And God will withhold no good thing from those that walk uprightly before him. Not bent over in fear, but walking in spiritual strength, walking uprightly before the Lord. Amen. Amen. Paul was reminding Timothy about the gift imparted to him, and he said, stir it up. Well, what is the gift? It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Stir him up. All Timothy had to do was reach out for the gift of power, take it by the hand of faith, receive it to himself, and place a demand on that flow. Just like walking up to a water faucet. You know, you've got a water faucet in your kitchen, you've got one in your bathroom, you've got a bathtub, you've got a shower. All you do is turn the dial. When you turn that dial, you're putting a demand on the water that's in those pipes. And when you turn that dial, it's like going, come forth. And if it don't, something's wrong. Let me say that again. If it don't, something's wrong. If we're saying that we're attaching to the Holy Spirit, but nothing's working, something's wrong. I guarantee it's not on the plumber's side. That same gift that Timothy was to stir up and to, to connect to and get to flow is the same that's available to all of us. Amen. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So maybe Timothy was actually at the point of thinking about deserting. I mean, after all that he's seen, all that he'd learned, and this battle has almost fatally wounded Timothy. Timothy, at this point, is the pastor of the greatest church that ever was, about 50,000 members. He was a protege of the Apostle Paul. He grew exponentially in knowledge, experience, years in ministry. And things start crashing down around him from persecutions, from martyrdoms, heresies, people that were departing, wanting just to save their own life. And that must have produced in Timothy an incredible sense of failure. Because as the pastor, the pastor is responsible for the church. So therefore, when heresy starts spreading, he's taking that responsibility. When people are being martyred, he's taking that responsibility. When people are departing from the, from the assembly, he's taking the responsibility. Because the pastor is responsible, so therefore the, the pastor will always deal with many, many things where there's a lot of sense of failure. And the reason being is because 
it's a church that's not perfect. A church filled with imperfect people. But it's the pastor's responsibility to teach and it's the people's responsibility to catch it and take hold of it and walk in it. And when it don't happen, it just is a sense of failure. So Timothy is feeling this sense of failure. And just like all of us, Timothy probably just wanted to run away. Probably just wanted to go into isolation. No different than, than, than David said in one of his psalms that he would just be like a bird and fly away. We all deal with that. Timothy definitely needed a fresh touch of supernatural strength and power by the grace of God. He needed that supernatural infusion. How do you know that? Because he said, suffer for the gospel according to the power of God. Controlled, conquered, and dominated by the power of God. Amen. You know, there's times that we go through horrible situations. Times that we go through stuff where our emotions are running wild. Our thoughts are just bouncing all around. And we feel overwhelmed. We might feel terrified. Spirit of fear is at the door, knocking at the door, wanting to get in. And that spirit of fear is wanting to paralyze us and make us think that we can't do anything. And we need a supernatural touch from God. Well, what do you do? You have to just, let me just say, like Paul said, stir up the gift. You could stir up the fear or you could stir up the gift. You could stir up the emotional turmoil or you could stir up the gift. You can uh, uh, stir up those paralyzing emotions or you could stir up the gift. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What, I'll try it again. What are we going to do? Stir up the gift. So let's do that right now. Let's just pray in the Holy Ghost. See, just stir it up, stir it up, stir it up. But you got to get your mind to pay attention to your spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost. You can't be stirring up the spirit and have your mind bouncing all over the wall. Discipline that thing. Make it sit down, make it be quiet, make it pay attention. You are not that mind. Make it do what it's supposed to do. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Your mind's not your buddy. Oh, come on, buddy. Let's do No, your mind is not your buddy. It needs to be disciplined. When you get it renewed, then you can be buddy with it. But you better keep it under control and making sure it stays renewed. <laughs> Stir up the gift. You got to place the demand on that. Make it flow. Isn't that right? Amen. See, this is the direction that mature believers go. And what is a mature believer? A disciple. This is the direction disciples go. When you're not a disciple, 
You're running around like this, thinking you're going someplace. One foot's nailed to the floor, and you're running in circles trying to come up with an answer. That's not a disciple. Disciples are learned one. Laying hold of a steady current of God's power within us by grace. Connecting to his river flowing on the inside. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. When you got saved, it was very simple. You believed and you received. Saved by grace. And it was through the avenue of faith. You chose to believe. And when you believed, grace was released. You became a new creature in Christ. Isn't that right? It was all just an operation of faith. With simple faith and trust in his word and determination to stay the course and act on his word, you simply received. Well, isn't that what we ought to do now? If in the new birth, all I did was receive the new birth, then don't I just receive? So what's the difference? Because you know that's not so. We all can say, yeah, yeah. And we could smile saying it, but you know it's not so. Because you try to make stuff happen. And why do you try to make, you didn't try to make the new birth happen. It just happened. But why didn't you try to make something happen? Because there was nothing you could see. Once it happened, you knew something happened. But it was nothing you could see. But now you want something to happen in the natural realm, so you're trying to make it happen. And the simple trust of just like the new birth, we're back in works again. We're trying to work grace. We're trying to make it happen instead of just receiving. I believe it, I receive it. Are you with me? If I did receive the new birth, then what is my life about? Receiving. I keep receiving. Keep receiving. Don't fall back to the old self-effort ways. You've received the grace of God. Don't receive it in vain. Let grace do what it's supposed to do. You do what you ought to do. Grace will do what it's supposed to do, and it'll be a wonderful union. Amen. Amen. You know what it says over in Ephesians chapter 1, that we would know the hope of his calling, and that his word, everything in his word is calling to us. Isn't that right? Any promise in the word is calling to us. Any advancement from the word of God is calling to us. Any manifestation from the word of God. Any increase that the word of God promises, it's calling us into that place, right? Well, you know that when you answer the call for increase or answer the call for manifestation or answer the call for an advancement or answer a call for renewal, the forces of hell are going to come against you. Hell don't want you to succeed, which we say, well, the hell with them. <laughs> but what did Paul say? Paul said, stay in the midst of the conflict, contend, take hold of God's freely given power. Amen. You'll feel like you want to desert, not desert like after dinner, but desert like leave. You'll feel like you'll want to run away, desert. And it'll seem like the advancement, the renewing, the manifestation, the increase, it's going to seem like it's difficult to accomplish it. Why? Because there's opposition. There is resistance. 
and it always comes, and you cannot stop it. You don't have enough faith to stop it. You know why? Because Jesus said, in the world you have troubles. In the world you have tribulation. So you're not going to stop it. Jesus said you're going to have it. And he said, so take courage. I've overcome the world. You can too. Just do what you need to do, and you'll overcome it. It may come to you, but it don't have to stop you. Isn't that right? Amen. We'll, come, we'll, we'll deal with lack, lack in finances, lack in health. We'll have lack in relations where people hurt us. Maybe we'll lack communication. We might lack feeling loved. And it might bring an overwhelming sense of fruitlessness in our life. Like, what am I doing? Why am I bothering? There's nothing happening. It's just fruitless, right? And we all have those opportunities to give up and run away. But Paul didn't say run the plan B. There is no plan B in the kingdom. So therefore, we have to learn to open our hearts to God so that he can impart his strength to us. As long as we stay shut, he can't impart his strength to us. As long as we're looking in another direction, he can't impart strength to us. This is why it says kindle afresh the gift, stir it up, look to him, and he will then impart to you. Amen. You know, I told you when I first got saved, God told me to go to church every time the doors were open. Well, that wasn't always easy. There was obstacles. You know, I had a job. I was in the automotive business at the time, and I worked 50 hours a week or more. So it wasn't always easy. And I'd leave work, and I'd be weary, and I'd be tired. There's times I didn't want to go to church. Didn't feel like going to church. There was no live stream back in those days. But even if there was, live stream, tapes, we had tapes back then. That was not to be a something to uh, a substitute. That was not a substitute. God didn't say, go to church every time the doors are open. But if you can't make it, get a tape. It's not what he said. See, because tapes, CDs, flash drives, live stream, that's plan B. Because it's not there for, in this, for, for convenience. Yeah. Well, I'm tired. Well, what does that got to do with anything? That's probably why you always let your kids get away with stuff when they were tired. Because you look at it as an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's just tired. Stir up the gift. Stir up the gift. Stir up the gift. It's just tired. That's all it is. Amen. Are you with me? So all those other media things, you know, like I said, they're, they're there for when it's a necessity, not for convenience. If it's a convenience, then it's just plan B, and it's not going to help you. And then you miss out on the corporate anointing. And it's not a benefit. We only have two choices. We're either going to resign spiritually and give up, or we're going to lay hold of a steady current of God's power. So when I would come home from the shop and I would just be tired and beaten, want to just lay down, I would lay on the bed sometimes. And I'd say, Lord, you said in your word, if I pray in tongues, I will edify myself. So I'm going to pray in tongues and I'm going to build myself up. And I would pray in tongues and I'd get up. I didn't feel any better. I could lay right back down again and go to sleep. 
But I said, you know, the lepers got healed when they, as they went. I think I can gain strength as I go. Yes, amen. 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 Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, you look out there and look at all the lights and the decorations out in the parking lot, in the church, the foyer, everything. And, you know, you can come in and it could be like, oh, my goodness, how did you do all this? Simple. One piece at a time. One piece. See, this is why we get so overwhelmed with life. We look at, oh, I got to do all, oh, I got to do all the, uh, like you're going to get it done in an hour or something. Oh, there's just so, oh, you know, oh, I don't know. You know, I got to change so much in my life. It's just too much. That's why you don't change. Because you're overwhelmed. How do you change your life? One thing at a time. One thing. That's all one thing. I learned a long time ago that God's a multiplier. You work on the one thing, seven things get straightened up. Amen. You got to start walking under the blessing of God instead of leaning to your own strength. That's what that is. I don't know if I can do all that. That's so much. That's your own strength or lack of it that's talking. And you can't pull on the strength of God. I had somebody come by just a couple of days ago, and they, they looked at, they were like, this is amazing. They said, you must have had a crew out here did all of this. I said, two people. Two people did it all. They're like, really? I said, yep, two people. How'd they do that? One piece at a time. It's how you move through life. One step at a time. Amen. You have to go to your car after service. How are you going to get there? One step at a time. Oh, I, don't know. I'm, I, I don't know if I can walk that far. One step at a time. Sit in the chair, get up, walk to the next chair, sit down. Walk to the next chair, sit down. You'll get there. One step at a time. Amen. You know, in Revelation 12 is a whole recap of what had happened. Jesus was born. Um, Satan tried to stop it. He was caught up to the throne. And uh, Satan got thrown out of heaven. Jesus came home with the authority. And then when Satan was cast out of heaven, because Jesus came home with the authority, he went after Israel, the woman that gave birth to the child. And he couldn't destroy her. So then he went after the people that held to the testimony of Jesus, is how Revelation 12 ends. He makes war with those that hold to the testimony of Jesus. Isn't that right? And all of us have in some way recognized and probably have been involved with Satan's infuriation over something. Just infuriated. Especially if we're wanting to obey God. You want to obey God, it's the quickest way to get the devil mad. And don't be like those religious people. Oh, don't talk about the devil. He might show up. Bring your face over here, boy. You know what makes him show up the fastest? You're afraid he's going to show up. That's what's going to make him show up the fastest because you have no defenses. <laughs> if we're wanting to obey God, Satan's going to be infuriated. If we want to walk in the will of God, Satan's going to be really upset about it. But the gates of hell 
since Jesus was on the earth, has not prevailed against the church. Not as a whole and not as individuals. Amen. He can't. You know why? Because even if he snuffs out your natural life, you haven't died. And when Jesus comes back, we're coming back with him. And the devil's going to go, I thought I killed you. And you're going to go, we're back. <laughs> Amen. So if the devil can't win, we can contend. Because we're destined to win. We're destined to win. Glory to God. I learned that a long time ago. I have all eternity to stand on the word of God. And the devil don't. So no matter what, I will win. Amen. So if you contend, you're destined to win. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, the first three centuries of the church, there was rage against Christians by the Romans. Emperor Trajan and Governor Pliny discussed how to deal with Christians. They were an odd group, you know, to deal with. And Pliny says to Trajan, I have found this superstition. That's what they thought. They thought the church was a bunch of superstitious atheists because we had the church, the Christians had no statues in their homes. They didn't burn incense. So they thought that the, they called Christians atheists. So it was a superstition to them, and he found that it was spreading to the cities, the villages, and the farms. And he says that the Christians had a detrimental influence on the people's worship of pagan gods. And though it seems possible, this can be checked and we can cure it. And he said that there were those who denied being Christians. They invoked the gods in word, the pagan gods, they invoked them in word. They told them, you know, this is what you need to say. And they would say what they needed to say before their pagan statues. They offered prayer and incense and wine to the image of the emperor and to the statues of the gods, and they cursed Christ. But he made this statement. None of those who are really Christians can be forced to do that. None of those that who are really Christians can be forced to do that. He said, but because of those that are doing it, the temples, which had been almost deserted, have begun to be frequented and established religious rites that were long neglected are being resumed. From everywhere, sacrificial animals are coming for which until now very few purchases could be found. What's it about? What's it about? Let me say it again. From everywhere, sacrificial animals are coming for which until now very few purchases could be found. What's it about? Money. Money. Until now, very few purchases could be found, but now people are buying them up. Money. What do you think was the problem when, when Paul cast the devil out of that girl, that little servant girl that was preaching that they were the messengers of God and he cast the devil out of her? Why were the people all upset? Because she was one making money for the silvermint unions. They lost money when he cast the devil out of her. The root of all evil, money. 
The love of money, rather. The love of money is the root of all evil. So again, everywhere sacrificial animals are coming for which until now very few purchases could have been found. So it is easy to imagine that a multitude of people can be reformed if opportunity for repentance is afforded and the threat of death is given as the alternative. So I would say they were not contending. They were yielding, giving in. And this is why the Apostle Paul said, I do not consider my life of any account as being dear to myself. Amen. In Revelation chapter 2, you know, Jesus spoke to all the churches. And Revelation chapter 2, he talks to the church of Smyrna. After he talks to the church of Ephesus, then he talks to the church of Smyrna. Smyrna was the persecuted church, if you remember. And the greatest or most famous example of the Christian martyr is Bishop Polycarp of Smyrna. He was martyred at 86 years old. It was 100 years after the resurrection. The deranged attacks against Christians had not subsided, but yet during certain Roman emperor rule, it was increasing even more. There was a large mob that was gathered screaming at the Christians, ranting, raving, and yelling. No, not the ones in Washington. This was some time ago. And they were yelling and raving, get Polycarp. And he was put on trial. And when he was on trial, there was a sympathetic pro-council that tried to persuade him to renounce Christ to save his own life. He's 86 years old. They're trying to be kind to him. All you have to do is renounce Christ, you know. Well, Polycarp, who was a pupil of John, a pupil of John. What does that make him? A disciple. Polycarp, a pupil of John. Not just somebody that knew John. He was a pupil from John. He learned from John. John sat with him. He learned from him. He taught him. And Polycarp declared, for 86 years I served him and he's done me no wrong. How can I revile my king who served me, who who saved me? He's not running. He's not deserting. He's contending. And the governor yelled at him, swear by Caesar or I'll throw you to the beast. And Polycarp said, bring on the beast. And the governor said, scorn the beast, I'll have you burned. And Polycarp looked at him right in the eye and boldly declared, you try to frighten me with fire that burns for an hour and you forget the fire of hell that never goes out. Now history tells us about Polycarp that he joyfully went up to the stake to be burned, and amidst the flames he praised God for having deemed him worthy to be numbered among his martyrs. In the letter of the church of Smyrna, a slightly legendary legendary account states that the flames avoided the body of Polycarp, leaving it unharmed like gold tried in the fire. Also, the Christian bystanders insisted that they perceived a sweet odor as of incense. And then the executioner thrust his sword into the body and the stream of blood that came out of his body extinguished the flame. And his corpse was burned after the Roman custom, but the bones were preserved by the church and held more precious than gold and diamonds. And the death of this last witness of the apostolic age checked the fury of the populace and this pro-council suspended the persecution. 
So what is our stand producing in others? What is our stand producing for others? Would we labor for the things of God now so others can reap, even if it doesn't seem to benefit, even if it seems to be a detriment to us? To be a Christian in the first century meant, very simply, total commitment in the face of grave opposition, a very intense contending. And it's difficult for many today to comprehend the horrific trials and tribulations that was being endured back then. But remember, it was by the power of God. And the persecutions that came against the church was not the greatest crisis. The greatest crisis was the number of defections. That was the greatest crisis. Clearly stated by Pliny that multitudes could be reformed. Why do we defect from the word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Because the promise of a pill will make you feel better? Because the promise of money can make things work out for you? If you go to church every time the doors were open, yeah, but if I work more, I can get more money. You know, and those things that God told me to do about church and all that, and then down the road, not too long after that, he tells me to start spending more time in the Word and spending more time with the family, and to do that, I had to give up working my side work, which I was making good money. It was like a second job, making, doing side work tax-free. And I had to make a decision, and that was not an easy decision. And I would not make the decision at first until things got so tough. I begged God, just let me finish this and I'll do what you've asked me to do. And I had to walk away because the money was not the answer. But you can't walk away from money and go, well, God will make things right. You got to get in the word. You got to get in the word. You got to get in the word. You got to get in with the Holy Ghost. You got to spend time with him and follow his direction. Listen to him because only he can bring you through. And it's not because of some religious attitude. Well, God will make everything right. No. He made it right 2,000 years ago. You're just getting caught up now. And you're going to have to get in there, dig in there, get in the trenches and contend. Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter one. Verse seven. First Peter chapter one, verse seven. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The proof of your faith being more precious than gold. Do you know that as the body of Christ, Jesus calls you golden? The book of Revelation starts off by saying, John saw him standing among the golden lampstands. And the Bible tells us that those golden lampstands are the church. Because Jesus considers his church golden. We look at everybody's flaws. We look at the annoyances of their personalities. Not you, of course. Somebody out there. 
Y'all are wonderful. But you understand what I'm saying? You can't help it. We don't come from the same backgrounds. We weren't brought up the same way. We didn't have the same experiences. We haven't lived through the same thing. We've all developed different personalities, character traits, and everything else. And we can rub each other like sandpaper. I think I do it every time I get up here. I rub some of you like sandpaper, at least once during every service. <laughs> but Jesus looks at us and says, they're golden. Amen. Amen. That the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. There's no greater fire than what the early church had experienced. And people in other countries are experiencing it right now. But I think of those in the early church when I read things like Polycarp and, and, and stuff and, and what the early church went through and the martyrs. And I think, what is my problem? What is my issue? You're upset about what? You can't deal with what? And I don't mean in myself. I mean, what are you doing walking away, turned away from the Lord, not in his word, not giving him the attention in the first place that he needs to get? You're wrapped up in what you're dealing with. That doesn't mean you ignore what you're dealing with. What it means is it's not your focal point. In what you're dealing with, the Lord has to be your focal point. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Oh, so I would, I understand I have these weaknesses, but I'd rather glory in my weakness so that the strength of God would be able to reside in me. And you'll never have the strength in God, of God reside in you until you admit you're weak in the situation. And because of the flesh, we have inabilities to produce results. Timothy witnessed this in his congregation, in his leadership, under threat of the Roman government. He saw the defections and he could have felt rejected, felt alone, that none would stand with him when the enemy was coming. But you can't live in hurt and live in victory. You got to choose one or the other. When you live in hurt, you shut yourself down to God. Sometimes relationships can hurt. Huh? And many people live more in the upset of the problems than they do in the gratitude that Jesus deserves. Do you ever think that if you died five years ago, you wouldn't have to deal with what you're dealing with today? How about thank you, Jesus, that I'm alive to deal with this? Thank you, Jesus, I'm getting old. Not everybody has that opportunity. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not forsaking our own assembling together. You know, some avoid church because something happened 30 years ago. And they've held on to the hurts, the grudges, the resentments. 
They're unforgiving. And they've shared their hurts with everybody thousands of times. Look at my scar. Look at my scar. You, know, you ever see a scar like this? You know, they're showing off their scars. You know, they rip the shirt open. Look at, what the, look at the scar here. I mean, they rip that thing right open. You know, some people do that, don't they? You know, take pictures of their scars and send them around to everybody. Look at my scars. And that's what people do. They show off their wounds. They show off their scars. And they use them now as a reason of never being involved in church again. And actually what's going on is Satan has you bound. He's got you wounded. And now he's got you captivated and imprisoned in your scars. That's not a hurt behind that scar. It's you. You're behind that scar. And you're imprisoned. And the more you show it off, the more bound you get. And we must determine and decide that no matter what happens, we immediately forgive and allow the Holy Spirit to begin working in our hearts to bring healing, restoration, and quickly return back to contending for the faith. But we have to learn to be strong in grace, to have that inner strength and that inner empowering on the inside of us where it's a deposit of power in the inner man. Strong in grace. Well, the more grace is unveiled, remember that there would be the unveiling of the unlimited riches of his glory and his grace until you're strengthened in your inner man with his divine might and explosive power. Strong in grace. The more that grace, the more you press into that grace, the more things of God operate in your life, the stronger and stronger you're going to get. It's a deposit of power in the inner man. Sometimes we deal with stuff. We deal with people. We deal with each other. And it seems shaky sometimes to get back out there. Have you ever had a confrontation with somebody and then you wanted to avoid... Maybe it was at work and you would avoid seeing them at work. You didn't want to, you want to just try to walk by them and not really, <laughs> you know, avoid, you wanted to avoid them, you know. But then you knew you needed to. And um, it's a little shaky to come back face to face again. Huh? Dealing with relationships can be shaky. Dealing with afflictions and persecutions can be shaky. Contending for the faith can be shaky. But God's power is available to take care of those trials. If we'll lean on the power of God. I remember uh, the, the first year, it was 1982, Dennis Burke had come to the church and laid hands on me. And he said, you'll never feel inferior again. Well, I never knew I was inferior, felt inferior in the first place. You know why? Because I did everything I could to stay out of any kind of a situation that would make me feel inferior. Because actually I was feeling inferior, but my defense mechanism was avoid any kind of a situation that would make you feel that way and always look like you're in control. That was my defense mechanism. But you couldn't hide it from God. He laid hands on me, said, you'll never feel inferior again. I melted like I was a candle. And that, and the, uh, my head was the wick, 
and it was a burn that went right through me, and I just went right on down. And somebody was sitting out in the church said, when you went down, it looked like there was nobody in your clothes. You just right down to the ground. The problem was I fell on his cord. We, we had corded microphones back then. I fell on his cord, and the pastor comes over, and I could feel him pulling my leg and trying to move me around and get him, getting me off of the cord. <laughs> but I couldn't move. <laughs> so when he said that, guess what started showing up in my life? Situations where I would be inferior. That started showing up. So when it happened... I had to start talking to myself. You know, hands were laid on me that I'm not going to have to feel this inferiority anymore. And this inferiority is not going to stop me or hinder me. And this inferiority is not going to make me go in another direction to come up with some type of a defense mechanism and work around it. I'm going to walk right on through this thing. And I had decided that back in 19, well, he came in December of 82, so probably by the end of the year, but I mean, it was probably next week that I had to deal with that. And I decided, nope, the power of God was released and I'm going to take hold of the power of God. I'm not going to take hold of this inferiority. Amen. And the more I did it, the less I had to deal with it. Amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. The power of God available to take care of things in our life. Opening ourselves up into relational living. That's what living is about, relational living. You notice that some of the most unhappy people are those that don't have any relationship with anybody. You know, even goofball Barbara Streisand, I think, sang about it. People who need people. Didn't she sing that song? You know, she's a goofball, you know, and I, I don't uh, recommend her music to anybody. But, you know, it's a true statement. People do need people. And um, they are the happiest people in the world. We have troubles. We have trials. We have problems. We rub each other like sandpaper sometimes. Sometimes we want to tell each other off, and sometimes we do. But then we make it right because it's relational. You know, I think God gave us families to teach us about relationships. I didn't have a close family, so I never learned about relationships actually until I got married. Really. I had no relationship with anybody in any area about anything at all in my life. I could care less about anybody. Well, I didn't have any, I didn't have a close family. You know, my father had Seven brothers, I knew none of them. Yeah. My mother had two brothers. We saw them once every 10 years, whether we needed to or not. <laughs> so I, wasn't, I didn't grow up with a, a close family. Pastor Nid grew up with a very close-knit family. You know, Well, they didn't have any electric. You couldn't watch TV. Everybody had to talk. You know, forced communication. <laughs> I was going, we were going to an ICFM meeting one year. It was up in uh, uh, Virginia. And Pastor Nid said, because we always stayed a couple of days afterwards. So Pastor Nid said, I want to go to a bed and breakfast. We've never been to a bed and breakfast. I'm like, okay, I'll see what I can find for a bed and breakfast. But I'm not going to one where we've got to all sit together and talk around the table. 
Well, I found a bed and breakfast, and it was a little like French design one and all. And I, and I asked him about the dining room situation. He goes, no, you sit at your own table. I'm like, okay, good. That's what I want. I don't want to talk to no strangers. So then I, get, I asked him the major question. You have any TVs in the room? Nope, we don't have any TVs. Oh, forcing me to communicate? <laughs> I wasn't used to relational living. But that's really what we need. We need relational living. And since I have developed relational living, I really like it a whole lot better. I spend less time with me and more time with everybody else. Amen. And you know, with relational living, you learn to consider others over yourself. You learn to consider other people before you say something or before you do something because you think about how will this affect them. You don't want to be hurtful to people. You let issues, you let issues roll off your back and keep your focus on the one that delivered us and brought salvation into our life. Isn't that right? The greatest relationship of all. It's joining hands with other people, not being a loner, and it is really the true road to victory. Going together, corporately. Strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Strong in his grace. Can you say amen? You just got to stir it up. Stir it up. Stir it up. Stir it up. Place a demand on it. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I could just jump right on in there again and start praying in the Holy Ghost and just stir it up more. Stir it up. Stir it up. Stir it up. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. For you alone are worthy, Lord Jesus. You're the everlasting one, the mighty God, mighty to deliver, mighty to save. You are the glorious King. You're the everlasting Lord. You are the wonderful, majestic, mighty God, high and lifted up by you, Lord Jesus. So worthy to receive praise and adoration. Glorious one, magnificent one, defeated all of our foes. Thank you, Lord, that you paralyzed the devil, brought him to naught, that you've given us authority over all the works of the devil, given us dominion on the face of the earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. See, that's just another way to stir things up by praising the Lord, stirring up what's on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you and bless you. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace. And Father, I just thank you that you're more than enough in every situation, that as long as we continue to look to you, continue to set ourselves on you and not get wrapped up, caught up, and beat up by all the situations and trials and troubles that the enemy wants to bring our way, but we'll stay focused on you, Lord, for you are the answer. We can't, we can't get delivered out of the problem by focusing on the problem. The problem is not the answer. The problem is the problem. But you are the answer to the problem. And I thank you, Lord, that we set ourselves on you. And Father, you always show us the way. You always make the way. You can always bring us about to where we need to be, to be the overcomer that you have made us to be in life. Father, I thank you for it. Bless you, Lord. Father, I thank you that you have given us seed to sow. 
that you've given us the avenue of the tithe to bring into the storehouse. Father, that these are avenues to operate in your financial system. And Father, I thank you that your financial system works. There is no robbery that goes on in your system. There is no criminality that goes on in your system. There is nothing except good that goes on in your system, and you watch over your word to perform it. That as we bring in our seed, that we bring in our tithe, I thank you, Lord, that you'll watch over your word, that we declare over that which we do. And that word, Father, will produce back into our life. And we thank you for it and bless you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks again for joining us on live stream and podcast. So glad that you could be with us tonight. I do pray that the word of God has touched you right where you're at, that the anointing of God moved right where you're at, and that you are different than you were an hour ago because of the presence of God right where you are. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you can head on over to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. And I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. If there's anything that we can ever pray with you about, please let us know. Email us, call us, uh, drop us a line. It's always an honor to pray for our partners and stand with you and believe God with you for your needs to be met. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus.